How's everybody doing out there this morning? I mean, you gotta be feeling pretty good. The weather outside is amazing. Yesterday, today, hopefully you'll get an opportunity to be outside. And just wait, because in July and August, we will be back at Havishaw Bay Park for our outdoor services coming up this summer. So that's something to look forward to, but you know, I, I won't be upset if immediately after service you bolt to head outside because it is a beautiful day out there. But I do want to welcome everyone uh, this morning to our worship service here in the Hudson Valley and also to those of you tuning in through Facebook Live. It's good to see you. Uh, how about on the count of three we say hi to everybody? One, two, three. Hi. They can't see you, but that's cool that everybody was waving. Um, so anyway, good to have everybody tuning in this morning. I do want to say that there's a special glow coming from all the women in the room this morning. Apparently there was a great uh, Women's Day yesterday. I heard that it was a fantastic time. I wasn't there, uh, but I heard it was a great time together. I mean, don't you just appreciate opportunities to connect like that? Connect with God and to connect with one another. And that's really what our services are all about. And so we're going to continue on with our theme of connection here in the Hudson Valley. And we're going to talk specifically about connection with the Father and with one another, but mostly with the Father. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to really connect with the Father, there's an important aspect of who we are that we need to think about and we need to consider. And that aspect of who we are is the heart. We need to think about our hearts. And so what I want to do to begin this morning is I'd like to hear from some members out in the audience. We're getting personal this morning. What do you think the heart is? If you had to think about the heart and come up with a definition or a way to describe it, what would you say the heart is? Do you have an answer? <clears throat> so what do you think the heart? When you think of the heart, what comes to mind? Keeps us alive. Yeah, it keeps us alive. So from a physical standpoint, but spiritually, it keeps us alive as well, right? Um, the heart is the most deceitful of all. Beyond cure. Oh! <laughs> Everybody was like, it keeps us alive. Yeah, it's deceitful above all else. We are going to talk about that today. It's important to realize that, right? As soon as you said that, I'm thinking of my daughter's favorite movie right now, Moana, and I'm thinking the heart is the center of all life, happy, energy, and um, wellness. Oh. The center of all life. We are going to talk about that in a minute. Wasn't thinking about Moana, but it's a good point. Sometimes when the uh, Bible talks about the heart, it's really talking about the emotional aspect of who we are, the emotions. Yeah, we will talk about that as well, because there's a lot of ideas out there about what the heart is, but we need to understand the heart from a biblical standpoint, because God gives us a heart. He is the creator of our hearts, and so he tells us through his word what the heart is. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is in some translations, the wellspring of life. Uh, this one is the source of life. And I really like that description of the heart because it tells us that the center of our lives 
essentially is our heart. And again, biblically speaking, that's a good definition for the heart. Um, as, as Dominic mentioned, it has to do with the emotions. You can think of the heart as the seat of the emotions, the intellect or the will. The heart is where our decisions arise from. And I really like thinking about the heart that way because it helps me to see that, yeah, my decisions are really my life. And where do those originate? Where do those begin? It begins in the heart. You know, Jesus tells us that we're to love God with all of our hearts or all of our desire. All of our decisions need to be about loving God. But as Cindy mentioned, there's a problem with our hearts. Right? There's actually a major problem with the human heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So if we're going to understand connection with God, if we're going to understand who we are, and if we're going to understand our hearts, we have to realize that, yes, our hearts are deceitful above all things. They're pulled in different directions. There's so many things that we come across in life that just steal our hearts. Our hearts are constantly being pulled in, in, in so many places. And as the, as the scripture that I just read says, they're beyond cure. So when you think about that, of course, it can be, uh, you know, a bit demoralizing or a bit devastating but it's the the passage is trying to get us to see that we have to be careful with our hearts we do need to guard our hearts we do need to try to understand it because in so doing as we do understand our hearts as we do get our hearts in the right place we can fully connect with god you know the heart is what jesus is after in his ministry and he realizes that we have to have our hearts in the right place in order to truly connect with the Father and with one another. And as I just mentioned, I mean, and I know this is true for me, I mean, my heart can be pulled in so many different directions on a daily basis. It can be drawn to so many things in this life, in this world. So many things that do not last. But the reality is, is, is if something else has the number one spot in our hearts, we won't truly be able to connect with God. So we have to examine our hearts. We need to figure out where our hearts are. In order to do that, in order to figure out where our heart is, we need to realize where our treasure is. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this passage, what Jesus is telling us is that where our treasure is, where our values lie, where our desires are pulled towards, when you can figure out that, you'll figure out where your heart is. Life is kind of like a treasure hunt. Treasure hunt for our hearts to figure out where they are. And if they're in the right place, if they are in heaven, if they are with Jesus, we'll be set free and we'll come home. 
know, Jesus tells us that he is the way and the truth and the life in John 14, verse 6. And so we need to be sure that our hearts are with Jesus. So the title of my sermon today is just three words, connect the heart. And so I have two points for you. Number one, admire Jesus. Admire Jesus. Point number two, forsake your treasures and follow Jesus. Okay, forsake your earthly treasures and follow Jesus. So we're going to connect with the Father through Jesus. We need to make sure we have hearts that admire Jesus. So you can turn with me in your Bibles over to Luke 18. We're uh, going through this series where we're traveling through Luke. We're looking at the Gospel of Luke. We're thinking about this theme of connect. And so we're going to come to a story today about a man who comes to Jesus. And it looks like he has great intentions. It looks like he's coming to Jesus because he wants to connect with Jesus, because he wants to connect with the Father. But what Jesus does is he looks right into this man's heart. And he says, hold on a second. You need to think about this first. Figure out where your heart is first, and then come and follow me. So let's take a look at this story about the rich young ruler. Luke 18, verses 18 through 21. Point number one, admire Jesus. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. So this story begins by stating that a ruler came to Jesus. So a man who was, uh, uh, had authority in his life comes to Jesus. And we don't really know exactly why he came to Jesus. It could be that perhaps he was humbling out. Perhaps he was experiencing something in his life and he just, well, i got to humble myself out and go to Jesus. That, that's a possibility. Or maybe he felt something lacking in his life. Maybe he felt this void in his heart. So he goes to Jesus. That's a possibility. Or perhaps he wanted to justify himself and find one more thing to add to his life, right? Approval from Jesus. Maybe that's what he was after. And to me, as I look at this, it is pretty clear to me that he wanted to come and justify himself. That he wanted to get the, the stamp of approval from Jesus. And so he starts off poorly. Okay, He came to Jesus, which that's good, but as he starts speaking, he, he doesn't start off very well. He says to Jesus, good teacher. And, you see, as we look at that, we think, what's, you know, what's wrong with that? But this was a statement by a Jew that was without parallel. Okay, the rabbis did not call each other good. In fact, the only thing that the rabbis or Jewish teachers called good was the law. They saw just the, just the law as good. So that was the only thing that they were willing to call good. But this man comes to Jesus and calls Jesus good. So his intention here seems to be that he's trying to flatter Jesus. So if I flatter Jesus, then maybe you know, I'll get this stamp of approval. But Jesus, realizing this, deflects the flattery 
and directs the ruler's heart's heart and thoughts back to God. And he says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. And what's interesting is that I think this is a foreshadowing to the ruler's deeper issue. You see, his heart was attached to things of this world, of accumulating things, and not to heaven, and having a heart that was set in heaven. So Jesus points his heart back to God. And it was really an, an impressive move by Jesus, right? Because, you know, if it's me, if I, if, I, you know, if I were Jesus in this situation, somebody comes to me and is like, oh, you know, good teacher or, you know, good preacher, which, you know, it, that's, that's okay if you want to say that sometimes. I'm, I'm cool with that. But, you know, if I'm Jesus and he comes to me and, and, and he says that, I'm like, okay, yeah, right, yeah, good teacher. Let me, let me teach you some things. But he doesn't buy into that. Okay, he sees through the flattery and points the man back to, back to God. Because Jesus wasn't about praise from men. He's about praise from God. And the second thing that this ruler did wrong in, in, in my perspective is that he asks what must I do to inherit life eternal life not who must I be because you see doing is about things of this world things in this life but the heart is about being okay who must I be to inherit eternal life? Would have been a better way to ask that. But Jesus directs the ruler to the ways of God and says, you know this, right? You know the commandments, right? And the man goes through the checklist in his mind, and he's like, yep, I do that. Yep, I do that. I do that. Not only have I done those things, but since my youth have I done those things. Now, I mean, that's impressive, right? I mean, even as we're thinking about that, maybe perhaps in our own lives, we should look at that and say, that's impressive, right? He's been able to keep the law and hold to that since his youth. But a wealthy ruler living a righteous life according to the law is not what impresses Jesus. See, the ruler was expecting to get a stamp of approval, an A-plus on his report card from Jesus, the great teacher. But as we'll see in a moment, although he kept the law, he forgot the why or the heart behind keeping the law. He was keeping the law to be admired by others, not because his heart was focused on admiring Jesus. You know, admiration is a heart issue. Right? Just ask Smeagol or Gollum from Lord of the Rings, right? And I can't do the voice. I wish Kyle Fridley was here. He can actually do the voice very well, but he's like, precious, precious, right? And so, you know, I, I, I do appreciate that movie so much, but in the movie, Smeagol or Gollum is so devoted to this ring. I mean, it's all that he can think about. It's all that drives his life. It's because he was admiring this thing, this ring, and you, you could see how his life was devoted to that. But I think admiration is something that we all understand. And there are things that we admire in our lives. 
And, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's all bad, but I do think it's important us, for us to think about admiration and what that is. You know, for me, one of the people that I admire most in my life is my wife, Katie. Lots to admire about Katie. When I think of Katie, I think of how loving she is, how sweet she is, how authentic she is, vulnerable, beautiful, inside and out, supportive, warm, easy to be with, loves Jesus and loves people. So I'm working on getting some stamps of approval there. Is this working? Is this? Okay. okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Um, but my admiration of Katie, you know, as I admire her for those things, is all about keeping those positive qualities about her at the forefront of my mind. And in so doing, it, it, I mean, it changes my relationship with her. And, you know, a while back we had a, uh, a marriage workshop and a marriage retreat, and we talked about how Nurturing your fondness and admiration for your spouse is one of the most fundamental principles in having a successful marriage, right? And it's really the opposite of being critical. And think about how that works. If you walk around all day and you're just critical about somebody or something, it changes your relationship with that person or that thing. There's some distance there. But if we hold the positive qualities, the things about the, the person in mind, so again, in my case, as I'm talking about Katie, it's holding those things in mind. It helps me to admire her, and it draws me closer to her. But in our marriage, what I so appreciate about her and just the, the, the blessing of marriage that God has given us is that you know, Katie admires Jesus more than she admires me. And she knows that my admiration must be for Jesus even above her. That's really what helps our marriage stay on track. As we think about our hearts and as we think about our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus, we have to be admiring Jesus on a constant basis. You know, when we look back at this story, this rich young ruler, as he came to Jesus, his intention wasn't admiration for God or even admiration for Jesus. It was about flattery and getting these, this stamp of approval and checking things off the list. That's not relationship with God. That's not relationship with Jesus. And so if we're thinking about connection with God, connection with Christ, we have to hold these amazing positive qualities of Jesus in our minds at all times. So I want you to think about this morning. Who is your life hero? Who is your life hero? Who do you think about on a constant basis as, man, this person is number one. I mean, they are amazing. Who is that person? And I went to go see Captain Marvel recently. I saw it twice, actually. Captain Marvel is amazing. Captain Marvel is the real deal superhero. And, you know, you just, I just think about all 
Captain Marvel's amazing qualities. I mean, she has this power, like, beyond any other superhero. I mean, that's crazy. Has anybody else seen it? I see a lot of blank stares out there. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about, right, Captain Marvel? Um, <clears throat> but, 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 you know, Captain Marvel is, an, is amazing, and as amazing as Captain Marvel is, or as amazing as these superheroes are, they're just nothing in comparison to Jesus. And seriously, though, who do you admire most in your life? Who is the greatest? Who is number one? Is Jesus your treasure? And if he is, you'll find your heart there. And we need to ensure that our hearts are in the right place. And when we work on admiring Jesus, this will always lead our hearts back home to a place of security and peace. You know, so often as Christians, and I find this true for my own life, it's easy for our hearts to be led astray and for things to become that checklist type of living, that checklist type of being. And we make we kind of fool ourselves into thinking that we're okay when we attend church service, when we read our Bibles in the morning, or we, we're praying, or we're listening to Christi Christian music. And that's a, not a knock on Caleb and what Lee said about Caleb. I mean, Caleb is awesome, but these things can be checklists. Getting together with other people, even. Right? They can become so routinized and we forget the heart behind it. Why are we doing these things? Where is our desire? Is it really on Jesus? Or is it really on something else? Looking a certain way, perhaps. Or just making ourselves feel okay when it really needs to be about Jesus. So my encouragement to you with this first point is to spend at least some time each day in adoration of Jesus. You know, Mother Teresa recommended this actually to a great spiritual writer, Henry Now, and she, he approached her and said, um, you know, essentially, like, how do I be more spiritual or how do I live a righteous life? And what she said to him was, spend one hour each day, at least one hour each day, in adoration of Jesus. And that's it. Now, <laughs> one hour might, you know, that might be a stretch. You might not be able to, you know, work that in. But just at least a little bit of time each day. And if you're visiting with us today and you're starting to get to know Jesus and who he is, I encourage you to ask someone who invited you or ask a member of the church here, what is it that you admire about Jesus? And where did you find that in the Bible, in the Gospels? Because there's so much that we see about Jesus' actual life through the Word of God. And I know, you know, I grew up in a religious household, and I had all kinds of ideas about Jesus and who he was, some true, some not exactly true. And I really didn't get to know Jesus fully until I checked out his life for myself. Until I decided that I'm going to spend some time each day looking through the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, just spending some time each day to really figure out who Jesus is truly is. And I'll just say, throughout that process, I've just been blown away 
by Jesus. I mean, there is so much to admire about Jesus. And I'd actually like to poll the audience again this morning to just ask you, what is it that you admire about Jesus? And I'll start. I'll share first. Um, You know, for me, one of the most impressive things about Jesus is how devoted he was to doing the will of God above all else. Even in the midst of persecution, threat, challenge, I mean, threatening his life, never wavered. I mean, that was the sole focus of his life, was doing the will of God. And I mean, I think about my life on a daily basis. I don't face nearly the challenges that he did, but, you know, I can get knocked off course very easily and have to course correct constantly. And so I admire that so much about Jesus. But I want to know what you admire about Jesus. What is it about Jesus that you admire? I'm going to go to Sephora first. Sorry. I just admire that he was incredibly selfless when you look at the number of hours he spent just devoted to others and serving others. It's just, it's really convicting for me anyway. Yeah, absolutely. His selflessness. That's great. Hi. Um, I just, I really like that in any story and in any case, when people who have messed up and come back to him, he always forgave. Yeah, that's great. Yes, Jesus' forgiveness is unbelievable. Amazing. Go ahead, Mark. I think just patience with the leaders around him, with his disciples, with everyone that he just was willing to listen and, um, you know, guide people in the right direction without getting upset. Amen. Yeah, guide people in the right direction. That's great. We'll do two more. His ability to, to just use wisdom, you know, given situations, he you know, always had the right answer. And so that's a superpower for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Amazing wisdom that he used. Um, one thing that I admire is that uh, he wasn't looking for the praise of men, and he uh, was totally confident in himself and God and not a people pleaser. So that really directed a lot of his actions and words. Yeah, yeah so I, you know, I find for my own life, it's just so easy to be focused on pleasing people. Um, so to see Jesus and how he just wasn't interested in that at all um, was definitely worthy of admiration. And there's just so much more, but as we spend time doing that, as we consistently focus on admiring Jesus, it does bring our hearts back to the right place. But our admiring of Jesus must not simply stay there, right? I mean, it's great to admire Jesus, but it should move us to action. So it's not that action or doing is bad, it's just that our hearts need to be in the right place so that our actions are flowing from who we are, are flowing from our hearts. And so those actions need to move us to a place where we forsake our earthly treasures and follow Jesus. So point number two, two of two, forsake your treasures and follow Jesus. Luke 18, 22 through 25. Okay, you still with me out there? Okay, point number two. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad 
because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so I love Jesus' response here and how he handles this situation incredibly wise. And he sees right through the smokescreen of flattery and doing and speaks directly into this man's heart. After all, Jesus knew what was in a man. John 2, verse 25, reads this. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. You see that demonstrated over and over in different stories throughout the Gospels, is that Jesus has interactions with people that he perhaps met for the first time, but immediately he knows, he already knows what's in a man or what's in a person. And so with this rich young ruler, he speaks directly into his heart. And it's not to come down on him. It's not to, bur to burden him, to make it impossible for him. It's just that Jesus knows that to follow him, if he really wants to connect with God, his heart has to be in the right place. He's giving this ruler an opportunity to live a full and abundant life. John 10.10. 10. And he sees that this man's most significant attachment his biggest hindrance in his life is that his heart is with his possessions. He sees that his heart is with his checklist of doing this, of doing that, and feeling secure in that, of, of, of having his identity bound up in his possessions, in his status as a ruler, in his status as a righteous person according to the law. So Jesus challenges that. He challenges his selfishness, his greed, and tells him to sell everything and give it to the poor. Why? So he can get rid of the attachment. So he can get his heart back in the right place. So he can fix his eyes on heaven and find his true identity in following Jesus. So that ruler has a choice, right? He can either give up the selfishness and security that this world can offer and gain eternal life or just continue in the way that he'd been living. Holding on to the things of this world and sacrificing eternity. And so the man becomes sad, right? The text says that the man becomes sad because his heart is not really about connection with Jesus and the Father. So he holds on to temporary riches that are passing away and sacrifices eternity. But before we get all judgy-judgy about this man, what we need to realize is that no matter who you are or what you've done, we all have a similar situation because we all have a deceitful heart that is beyond cure. Who can understand it? So for this man, it's treasures and possessions and status, but for you, it's probably something else. 
But there's something in there that Jesus is probing for you. Something that Jesus wants to work out in your life. Not to burden you, not to hold you down, not to give you one more thing that you cannot do to take away all your fun in life. And, you know, there's some giggles with that, but that's how we can look at God sometimes, right? Especially as a young person. I mean, I've talked to lots of young people that feel that way about God. It's just, God just, you know, he... He just doesn't want me to have any fun in life. And it's just not true. Actually, God wants you to have the most fun in life, but real, true, authentic fun. Can I get an amen to that? When you see false gods, these unhealthy attachments, they do bring sadness to our life. Psalm 16, verse 4, The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply And so Jesus is showing this man the way to the Father through the heart. And so he says to him, forsake your treasures so that it won't be hindered, so that you won't be hindered, and so that your heart is in a right place so that you can follow Jesus. And following Jesus is about patterning our lives after Jesus. He's not just identifying with this group or identifying with that or doing this checklist here and there. It's I'm going to live my entire life after Jesus, where Jesus is Lord. I mean, that's what discipleship is all about. And so Jesus continues to help this ruler. He says, it's not impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom. He just says that it's difficult because of the way money can so easily entangle our hearts. And it's, again, it's not just money. It's, there's so many things that can entangle our hearts. But in this case, he's talking about, man, money. We just have to be really careful with money and possessions because they can really have a hold on our hearts. And so he uses this illustration that might be difficult to understand, this camel and needle and, you know, what, what is he talking about? But it was something that would be very familiar to a first century Jew. And here's an explanation of, Uh, what that illustration is all about. This is from William Barclay's commentary on Luke 18. He says that beside the great gate into Jerusalem through which traffic went, there was a little gate just wide enough for a man to get through. It is said that that little gate was called the needle's eye and that the picture is of a camel trying to struggle through it. So, just trying, so Jesus is just using this illustration to try to help him see that it's not impossible, but it's really challenging. It'd be like a camel trying to get through this really tiny gate. And so what, the whole point of what Jesus is doing here, what he's really trying to help him understand is that if you're going to follow me, your, your heart needs to be in the right place. So you need to forsake your treasures and then come and follow me. And that's a very basic principle in life, right? If you're going to accomplish something great, there are things that you're going to have to give up. There are things you're going to have to let go of to be successful in this particular area. I want to talk about my wife again really quickly. I'm still working on getting some more points with her, as you can tell today. Um, I mean, Katie's just a great 
illustration for a lot of things. Um, but, and I think many of you know this, but Katie was a very successful lacrosse player. So um, her junior year, she won the Torrent Trophy, which is the Heisman Trophy of women's lacrosse. Um, she was also ACC Player of the Year, I think like every year or something like that. So she's like, no, but. <clears throat> um, and she was also on a, a World Cup team in 2009 that won uh, the World Championship in Prague, the lacrosse women's world championship in Prague. Yeah, we can we can cheer for that. I mean, we can we can clap it up for that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, clearly she was very successful at lacrosse, but <clears throat> her eyes were set on being successful in this particular area, and so that means that there were other things that she had to cut out of her life, right? She couldn't spend all of her time partying and being with her friends all the time and focusing you know, on all these other things that she could have done. She sacrificed those things because she had this goal, because she had this purpose in mind. And if her heart was bound up in these other things, she wouldn't have been able to be as successful as she was. And so, I mean, this is something that we all understand. And it's equally true in the spiritual realm of life. Look, there are things that we just need to give up in life to follow Jesus. And again, for this man, it was thing. It was certain things. It was his possessions. It was his status. And I don't know what it is for you. But Jesus does. He knows what's in you. And so every once in a while, actually probably very often, we need to give ourselves a heart check. Right? Where is your heart today? Where do you see yourself today? What is Jesus calling you to forsake in life? Again, not to just hold you down and be a burden in your life, but so that you can live the abundant life he has called you to? What are your attachments in life that give you a false sense of security? As Christians, it can be showing up to church, the checklist that I mentioned before. Is that what your attachment is? Just doing things or having a status or a position associated with church? Or is it a relationship? Do you hold someone else in your life and in your mind in higher regard than Jesus? Or just pleasing people, right? I mean, that can be an attachment. Are there priorities in your life? Possibly, it can be sports. I mean, that can be a thing for me too. Sports, other hobbies or activities. Addictions as well. Addictions to things like internet pornography, alcohol, drugs, social media. You know, we have to be real and honest about the things that just grip our hearts. Can I get an amen to that? Right? They're, just, they're deceitful. And so I don't know what it is for you, but you've got to be willing to go there. You've got to be willing to take a look. What's in your heart? Let's not be a church that pretend follows Jesus. 
that calls ourselves disciples, but really, it's just a label, right? Let's be people that, yeah, we're willing to forsake these treasures, and it may be hard, and it may be difficult, but we know what's on the other side of that. Following Jesus, an amazingly abundant life full of purpose and meaning and intention and influence, as Ryan was sharing last week. I mean, to be able to impact the lives of those around us eternally, I mean, what greater life is there than that? I mean, that's incredible. But let's look at the gods in our lives. Let's talk about these gods. Let's get together with people and confess. Let's be vulnerable. We talked about vulnerability on Wednesday at Men's Midweek. That was fun, right? That was cool with the guys to talk about vulnerability. I know the women talked about that a little bit yesterday, but we have to be willing to be known and open so that Jesus can speak not only through his word, but also through other people. It's one of the greatest gifts and benefits of being part of the church. So my encouragement to you this week is to give yourself a heart examination. Or I should say, allow God to examine your heart. Spend time doing that this week, personally, and with a spiritual person that you feel close to. Looking for treasures. Looking for your earthly treasures. And again, I don't know what those are for you, but be willing to go there and look at those. Look at your unhealthy attachments. And then offer that attachment to Jesus. Ask him to take it on the cross for you. He wants to. And in many ways, he already has, but we have to give it up to him. You have to be willing to put it up there with him. And then, make your number one intention each day to follow him or be like him in every way. Luke 9, 23 then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So to conclude, let's lead lives with hearts fully devoted to Jesus. To do that, let's admire Jesus the King. Let's forsake our unhealthy and worldly attachments and follow Jesus with all our hearts. To God be the glory of Amen.